0: So welcome to If Not Us, it is the podcast for people wanting to make the world a better place. I am your host, Sarah Ackerman, and this week we are talking to Jesse Hausler in honor of Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which is coming up on May 20th. So thank you, Jesse, for joining us. Could
1: you- Thank you for having me.
0: Oh yeah. Could you give us an introduction as to like your work and how you kind of got involved in the world of accessibility?
1: Sure, well I am a, uh, I direct a product accessibility team And so I essentially work with a team of people that help designers, engineers, product people, content people um, make their products more accessible for their users and for their customers' users. Um, I got into the field of accessibility um, almost by accident, I would say, Uh, when I was in graduate school, I I was studying human-computer interaction and um, I took an elective course uh, on computer access it was a cross-university thing at the uh, University of Pittsburgh, and I didn't know anything about the field at the time, but there was a lesson in this class, and this class focused primarily on assistive technologies, things like screen readers and speech input and um, positioning and wheelchairs and, and that sort of thing. And this lesson that I got was that the idea is that if a person can uh, perform one repeatable, controllable action, whether that's, um, you know, bumping a button with their right elbow or um, moving their cheek or blinking their left eye, um, then they should be able to do any task on a computer, period. Assuming the software is engineered correctly and designed correctly. Um, And that's, yeah, that that just stuck with me. And I I loved that and I I dove into it even more.
0: That's amazing. So um, for the folks that are able-bodied and don't necessarily uh, engage with accessibility issues on a daily basis, why should they care about making everything accessible?
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's many reasons why one should care about accessibility. Um, you know, if you read the stats on the World Health Organization, uh, 15% of the world's population has a disability. It um, doesn't awesome really even include, you know, what... We refer to as situational or temporary disabilities, um, you know, such as a broken arm or broken leg. Um, you know, something that would be more situational. Think about a mother with a stroller trying to get up on a sidewalk or through doors, or a UPS person with a dolly uh, pushing packages around. Right. Um, you know, and when we think about accessibility and, and going farther. Into inclusive design, right? Like this idea of including people with disabilities in our design processes and our engineering processes, because um, they're kind of integral to help us seeing product and experiences in a new way. Um, you know, we can use you know their problem-solving muscle that like they've developed and evolved over their years of having you know. Uh, people like Kat Holmes would call it these mismatches with society um, where, you know, they are who they are, you know, a person with a disability is who they are, but it's the situation around them. It's the software around them. It's the doors, it's the the sidewalks or whatever it might be that creates this mismatch that causes them to have a disability. And by kind of using that muscle, you know, we can solve problems that are pain points for everybody.
0: That's a really interesting way of thinking about it. I didn't think about, like, the, like, wheelchair makes sense. Like, that that is illogical when you're thinking about, like, an accessibility issue like wheelchair. You don't necessarily think about those situations where it's, like, a, a family with a stroller or, like, the UPS guy with the, the dolly. Like, uh, that makes it a little bit more universal and a little bit more easy to spot. Um, yeah. Yeah. And,
1: You know, somebody who uses a, you know, like a wheelchair um, on a regular basis or every day, I mean, they're going to experience more things than even the mother or the UPS person would, whether it's like the angle or the width of the uh, the curb cut, or if they're using mass transportation, like a, a subway system, you know, they are going to encounter, you know, dark hallways, right, or broken elevators, in situations where they kind of have to take a shuttle to the next station so they can get to the train platform, um, a good friend of mine um, constantly you know worked and when she lived in San Francisco you know met with the city uh, people all the time about just getting light bulbs installed um, on these walkways from the elevator that was tacked onto a metro platform to the platform mm-hmm. uh, because they were dark and scary right and same situation a mother with a stroller is going to encounter, these people with these lived experiences always um, are going to be able to point these out better.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to the internet and all of the joys that the web brings, what are the biggest barriers mm-hmm. making web and technology as a whole more accessible?
1: Sure. I can think of two big barriers. Um, one, one is education. Right now, um, colleges, universities, technical schools, design schools, simply just don't educate about accessibility in a way that a typical student can graduate or exit that program being able to contribute out of the gate to making accessible product. There's just, they just don't learn those skills. Um, and so when you get into the tech world and the web world, um, people don't know it you know, and that's why there are organizations like Teach Access, uh, who aim to work with both, you know, academia to, you know, kind of better educate their students, and not just some elective that, you know, somebody takes in graduate school, uh, to actually teach them about accessibility and how to code properly and how to design properly. And then they're also working with uh, tech companies to make Um, knowledge of accessibility at whatever level it is, part of their requirement process, kind of creating this circular need um, to build new technologies with the needs of people with disabilities.
0: It kind of sounds like uh, even in tech, like the uh, using the analogy of like the elevator tacked on down a long hallway, it's a similar uh, accessibility is the afterthought of like, it's might be a little bit difficult, we'll figure it out later. Because um, it's not a. Absolutely,
1: and it's always poor. And it is the elevator down the long dark hallway. Often, mm-hmm. um, right? And that kind of, if if you have time, you know, the second barrier that I think is important to talk about is the fact that um, standards, right? There's essentially three different groups that need to agree and follow the same pattern. That's going to be your browser vendors, your assistive technology makers, and then the application developers, the web developers they all have to hit the same target, mm-hmm. right? So for instance, there's one screen reader and I'm not going to say, you know, kind of who it is, mm-hmm. but they will, um, you know, you can have a situation where the browser follows the rules, the, um, the web developer follows the rules, but the screen reader doesn't, mm-hmm. right? And so then somebody has to bend to that, Mm -hmm. Um, Or there's another example, this one I will name, um, for speech input, right, a tool that's very popular amongst people with mobility impairments called Dragon Naturally Speaking, Mm -hmm. right, in the same kind of situation where um, browsers follow the rules, the app can follow the rules. But this product, um, a few years back, they decided, we are not um, assistive technology, we are not technology anymore, that assists people with disabilities so um, they don't follow the rules and that's for years people have been using that
0: mm-hmm.
1: for that reason so that creates a little bit of a difficulty
0: in that situation like you mentioned they don't follow the rules who's is it are the rules structured or do they have to is it just by the nature of we designed this we made this and they happen to line up so these are now our new found rules
1: no the rules are developed right so the browser rules html rules are developed by you know, the World Wide Web Consortium and like the What Working Group. There are several accessibility working groups at the W3C. There's the ARIA Working Group, which is a group that said, uh, the web has moved beyond forms and buttons mm-hmm. into really complex stuff, mm-hmm. you know? So we need to be able to build a platform, build a structure for people to, when we have hover menus and type ahead dropdowns and floating modals, a way to do that and that's going to be uh, accessible for people. So they have their set of standards, the browsers have to follow that and then the assistive technology needs to know what to do with it. Uh, You know, if I'm a blind user using a screen reader and my focus goes into a modal dialogue, Mm -hmm. am I told that I'm in a modal dialogue? Do I know what to do here?
0: Interesting. Yeah, there's so many different ways that it all, that if you're not experienced, like if you don't have that lived experience, you would completely overlook like, oh no, this makes complete sense. So like even as someone who is not necessarily in tech or in design, like how are, what are things that folks that don't fall into those two categories, what can they do to better advocate for more accessible? Yeah.
1: You know, I think for people who like aren't designers or aren't in tech, you know, learning about accessibility, listening to uh, your podcast today is a great place to start. Um, Sharing information they find with friends, colleagues, family, um, asking questions, advocating for their friends uh, and loved ones. Um, You know, a big, you know, kind of thing that came up recently, right, uh, with a lot of people in like... Phase One A of like vaccine distribution, a lot of older people had a very difficult time finding um, a way or even figuring out how to get a vaccine appointment. Yeah, right. That be, that's a, a perfect example of an accessibility barrier. You know that is causing problems for everybody, mm-hmm. right? especially everybody of a certain age group and higher. Yeah. So you know, just advocating for those sorts of people. You know, in the United States, these things are mandated legally in in fairly specific situations. Um, You know, federal government websites and systems and things like that fall under the Rehabilitation Act. And more recently, businesses that have both an online and a physical presence are susceptible to things like the ADA, Um, but it's not everything. Right. Whereas in like the EU, the rules are a little stricter, they're followed a little bit better. So here we kind of have to look out for each other and educate ourselves.
0: So if, a, so if I'm understanding right, like the, if a, a store only has a web presence, the site doesn't necessarily need to be accessible. But if they have a store, like a physical presence and an online presence, then they're subjected to ADA guidelines.
1: <laughs> That's a general idea. I'm not a lawyer and a lot of this is kind of legal patchwork. Um, You know, there's some cases that are interesting. I think Target, uh, Southwest Airlines, I want to say, Domino's Pizza was another one that kind of established these things where if there is a physical presence somehow, you'd have to ask the judge.
0: (laughs) And that just touched on transportation, food and retail. So like, clearly, this is not it's never just a one industry that would be impacted by this, but literally everything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Banking is a big one as well. They take it very seriously.
0: Education takes
1: accessibility.
0: Yeah, I feel like banking in general takes rules and regs like pretty, they're used to that a little bit more.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, what's one step regardless of industry that uh, every organization should take to make their digital presence more accessible? Like just baseline first step.
1: I think the first thing that you know, organizations or industries can do is you know, start with a statement and a roadmap. Right. Assess where you are, uh, determine where you need to go, and then make a public commitment to improving that, and follow up on that commitment. See
0: through. Yeah, that's simple enough. Uh, Mm. I mean, complex enough, too, that... One, two,
1: three, done.
0: Yeah, finished. We're accessible now. Um, No, the follow-up is the the most critical part, uh, because making statements doesn't carry a lot of weight anymore. Um,
1: yeah by making it public you know by having a roadmap, by understanding what you need to do that's that's a big first step. Many people are scared by a perceived mountain of work in front of them, so they're hesitant to get started.
0: What is the next frontier for accessibility?
1: Yeah um, you know I almost kind of it's interesting right so to almost kind of flip that um, so many times in history like accessibility uh, and innovation for disability. Mm-hmm. Um, led to innovation for everyone else yeah right like home automation is, is is one example i can think of um it used to people who had disabilities uh around like mobility and wanted to live independently used to use these old like they were called x10 systems and they were extremely expensive home automation systems for opening doors turning off lights and opening closing windows and things like that. You know, and now, you know, if you think about Alexa or Google Home and these kind of products, right? It's so much cheaper. It's so much more available to anyone. Um, I can buy light bulbs on Amazon for like $5 and turn the lights off and on without any problem. Um, you know, and I think taking this idea of these like AI speakers and bots that we all have in our homes or on our phones, I think this is going to be a next big frontier in accessibility mm-hmm. because in a way it, you know, it kind of removes um, the interface, mm-hmm. right? It removes that barrier. I don't have to worry about the browsers or the screen reader or the, the, any of that stuff. You know, if I want to get an appointment for a vaccine, I can say, hey, you know, Alexa or hey, Google, um, please find me a vaccine appointment. And then, you know, they'll say "Processing," and come back, hopefully say, "Okay, 3: thirty at the CBS tomorrow."
0: Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's a, a, a That's a really interesting way of like thinking about how uh, how what we already have is going to advance even more, if it's already just inundated in our homes and listening. And I hope that if folks are listening to this honest speaker, that both their Alexas and their Google homes are lighting up, because that's always the the most fun to see how they're always. They're all oh, like
1: did this. I said that out
0: loud? Yes. I? <laughs> <laughs> um, I heard of a very interesting prank that someone pulled uh, using a, an Alexa where at the beginning of a large speech that he was giving that was online and broadcast to thousands of people, he said, hey, Alexa, play Who Let the Dogs Out. And just across the like across the states, everyone was getting inundated with that song. So... That's probably not the best use of tech, but that's okay. I love it. So in terms of uh, what's next for you in this journey of accessibility? Is there anything that you're excited to be working on personally, professionally, um, that continues down the road to making the world more accessible?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I really wanna get closer to the people uh, with disabilities, the people that are affected by these mismatches that I mentioned earlier, um, you know, and in technology, you know, by getting more involved with inclusive design, um, you know, by involving people with disabilities um, in our design and development processes, you know, we can really benefit from their experiences. And that's that's an area of kind of work and research that I would like to get more involved with in the future. That's
0: awesome. Well, that's great. I'm excited to hear what what's to come and what's already been happening that we just might not be aware of behind the scenes. So uh, thank you, Jesse, for taking the time and educating us more on all things accessibility, especially with the holiday coming up this Thursday of Global Accessibility Awareness Day. Um, it's a it's a day to celebrate and reflect and, you know, uh, hopefully find ways that we can all make our, both our tech and our lives a little bit more accessible and advocate for those who need it the most. So I really appreciate your time.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. And thanks to everybody for listening to this wonderful chat. Um, by all means, keep subscribing to all of the places Uh, you get your podcast from and visit us on ifnotus.tv for our website.